ComC.com is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 24 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. To better serve the hobby, ComC recently made changes to streamline their services and improve turnaround. They even opened a new building. To learn more about the exciting changes being made at ComC, please visit blog.comc.com. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. Wherever you are at and whatever you are doing, I hope things are going well for you. Well, there is a lot going on right now in the retail environment. There are stories all over the place of retail getting shut down. We see ads on Facebook and at some of these shows where there are tables full of retail product that has been scooped up and people are trying to sell it and maybe it's not selling quite as fast as it had in the past, but that doesn't mean that we can find it on shelves and with the recent Target announcement that they're going to be temporarily suspending sales, that's got a lot of buzz on what is everybody else going to do. And so I thought it would be a great idea to bring back one of the most popular guests that I've had, and that is Panini's DJ Kazmerzak, the VP of Sales and Product Development. We're going to hit on the retail situation. We're going to hit on what some of the other programs that Panini is putting in place um, to address some of this stuff, and a, a few other topics along the way. And so I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with, with DJ that I am going to run here in a minute, but first I'm going to tell you about Underdog Collectibles, an online shop run by collectors for collectors, and they break new product every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday night. And you can go out to their site at www.udogcollect.com to see what they're going to be breaking this week. You can also join their Facebook group where people talk about their hits, they ask questions, they learn about the hobby, and you can watch them on YouTube. That's the best place to watch their live breaks every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday night. So check out their YouTube channel as well. So check out Underdog Collectibles at udogcollect.com and tell them Wax Pack Hero sent you. All right, and here's my conversation with DJ. DJ, welcome to the show. Mike, thanks for having me again. It's been a while. I didn't realize it had been, what, six months almost, seven months? Yeah, I think it was uh, November or so when yeah. uh, you were on last. So I appreciate you coming back. You know, what have you been up to? It's been kind of a boring couple weeks, hasn't it? <laughs> it's funny. I did I did, a, I did an interview last week and I came on and I said, why are you guys having me on? <laughs> I don't know why you're having me on. Yeah, no, it's been obviously since we talked in November, uh, the, the industry and the hobby and everything has just kept right, right on chugging along. So, uh, and there's been a few new things that have come up, some of which we're going to talk about today. And, and, you know, one, one of, one of everybody's favorite three letters now, the NFT craze that is hit. And so there's been all kinds of stuff going on and, and, you know, obviously now, hopefully with some of the COVID restrictions and things, uh, coming off, hopefully we're going to have a nice, either mid or late summer, you know, show circuit to talk about too. So there's a lot going on. 
Well, let's go ahead and get started with maybe one of the, the big topics that has been on everyone's mind uh, for the last couple of weeks, and that is retail. Yep. And I know you've been on a couple shows in the last week or two with um, Beckett and Eric Norton and Robin Ivan from GoGTS, yep. but maybe you can give just a brief update on what we know about the Target situation right now. Yeah, the thing to know, I think the thing that, that is most uh, important for everybody to understand is Target is not out of the trading card business by any stretch of the imagination. They have temporarily paused the sale of four categories, and that is uh, baseball, football, basketball, and Pokemon. Everything else, um, when they have it, <laughs> is going to remain in stock. So you're talking about things like NASCAR and UFC and soccer products. Uh Will, will still be sold in store. They're, they're doing a momentary pause based on some items that they've seen higher amounts of traffic on. And what I mean by that is people lining up to buy the product before it, it appears in the store, before it goes on sale. So that was that's the decision they made. I've had quite a few conversations with the buyer and, and other people in, in Target's management about their long-term commitment to the category. And let's be honest, I mean, Target has been the most consistent retailer over the last 20 to 25 years in, in terms of maintaining a dedicated 24 feet of space in most every store they have. Uh, some of the other retailers have kind of done an accordion type process where they expanded and shrunk as demand went up and down. Target never has. Now, within the 24 feet, sometimes they've given more to entertainment than sports. Sometimes it's been split down the middle. And then sometimes sports has had more space than entertainment, which has been lately. When I say entertainment, I mean gaming, uh, magic, Pokemon, those kind of things. And so, I mean, they're, they're, the important thing to know is they're, they're still committed to the category. That being said, they've had some challenges with some altercations, um, multiple altercations, but 10 days ago, there was one in Milwaukee that was really the proverbial straw, if you will, and, and the shopping center of the entire area was locked down uh, for an hour. Not a good look. So, I mean, Target is is concerned about their brand, um, and, and I respect that. So, this is a, a short-term reset, and hopefully short-term is short-term. In the meantime, they, they intend to, to offer product online. Uh, I know that for collectors, that – brings up a whole nother set of issues, mainly bots and things like that. We're, we're aware of that. So we're still working through that with them to, to figure out what that looks like. But um, long-term trading cards will still, sports trading cards will still be sold at, at Target. Where does that leave us with Walmart? Have you had any conversations with the folks from Walmart? Yeah. So, so Mike, you have breaking news. I, I I don't know if it's breaking news, but I, I, I actually had a meeting uh, with the Walmart buyer this morning. So I had not talked to the Walmart buyer last week. I had talked to the category manager, MJH, out of Chicago, and they had reassured me of, of Walmart's commitment and the fact they weren't going to change. And, and the, the, the buyer this morning confirmed that. You know, the fundamental difference here was Target made a decision uh, based on what they thought was best for their their employees, quite frankly, because there was a lot of traffic in the aisles. And, you know, if you've been in a Target, I'm sure everybody has, you know how their registers are laid out. Whereas Walmart has gone to a little bit more of a free flow front end now. They've got a lot of self-checkouts um, and it's more of a pokey kind of area where, you know, it's free flowing. Whereas at Target, they still have dedicated basically checkout lines. And where the trading cards were was always heavily congested. So, uh, you know, I think there was some concern that their employees were feeling a little bit, I'll say intimidated, but 
their space was being invaded. And you're talking about a pandemic and just other things. Plus, you know, trading card people, they're, they're pretty, um, they want to, they ask a lot of questions. If something's not there, they're looking for, they're going to ask a lot of questions. So they made the decision to go that one day a week approach to selling cards. Um, and, and the, the challenge with that is, is that, you know, you're basically announcing, okay, this is the time every week that trading cards are going to be for sale. And that's a creates a queue system, you know, like concert tickets or anything else. And uh, unfortunately, I think that's when you saw some of this stuff escalate because people would show up and try to line up, even though they eventually outlawed camping overnight that was going on. Um, but the other thing was that Target had a couple reps. Well, Excel had a couple reps. Excel is the category manager that services Target on our behalf, where people actually put trackers on their cars. Now, I mean, that, I know that, that's a true story. It's been, you know, it's been on social media, and some of the stuff on social media is not true. But the trackers are true, and you start to go, really, is that that that's where we're at? We got to track, you know, people when they service. Or so it really got to the point where Target was like, wow, this is. The demand here is crazy and we need to manage it a little bit. So Walmart never did that. Walmart's, what Walmart did was they changed the service schedule, but they also changed the time. And they would service a lot of stores overnight. And they were doing surprise services, like they would let a store sit dormant for a few days and then they go in and, and gussy it up. So they never went to this, you know, uh, appointment buying, if you will. And the buyer seems to think that's help keep things controlled at, at, at his his stores i don't know if that's true or not but that's that's his perspective and anyway that's so walmart has no intention or plans uh in, in fact our conversation this morning was about opportunity and 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 things we can do in the fall and the winter uh in the walmart space all right. Well, that's that's good to know. And hopefully that continues and we don't see the, the issues that we saw at Target migrate over to Walmart anytime Agreed. soon. Agree 100 percent. It's a, you know, listen, it's a business. All businesses have challenges and this one will be resolved, but it's it's not a good look for the industry. Obviously, it's gotten a lot of media coverage, um, you know, and our industry is entertainment and happiness and fun. And at least it's supposed to be. So you you you, you just don't like seeing those kind of stories. Well, hopefully some of that will start to resolve. I know we've another topic as it pertains to retail and even to some extent a hobby perspective, because the the whole issue of allocations and all of that type of thing is getting product or having product available for customers to buy and yep. for collectors to, to buy. Retail is one of those avenues. Hobby is another one of those avenues. We touched on this a little bit when we talked last time, but one of the, the ways that some manufacturers have tried to approach solving that problem is to increase the number of direct to consumer offerings, the, the types of programs and, and models that are put in place that make um, product available to collectors on a, a periodic basis, whether that be subscription and membership yep. type programs like Tops has with the 582 Montgomery Club and the Future Stars Club, those types of things. I know last time we briefly touched on an idea that was still being baked out of the kids crate program that would be run through hobby shops. Um, could we get an update on where we stand with the kids crate program? Yep. That's it. Uh, I think at the time I told you that was intended to roll out in May, obviously it's May and it hasn't rolled out. It's, it's been delayed because of production 
uh, I'll say challenges is not really a fair word. As you know, we were shut down in Dallas for literally a week back around uh, Valentine's Day. It actually started on Valentine's Day. And then the three days after it, we had the negative temperatures here, which Dallas is just not equipped for. And we had the loss of power. Anyway, we lost almost 10 days of of printing time um, at the printer who is located here in the DFW area. So we've been playing catch up since then in terms of manufacturing stuff so that's that's what's led to the delay but the the intention still is to release the product this summer probably right before we head to the national which i know we're going to talk about in a little while but right before we head to the national so probably mid-july um that week before and and the intent is still for it to be a 50 dollars product uh, we can price control it because it's through the hobby. That's the reason we chose the hobby as opposed to retail. I, I can't really control retail once I've sold the product to the category manager. I can control hobby a lot more because, um, you know, let's just say we have a little bit more influence to to uh, to hobby shops um, and, and policing, if you will. So that's the intent. And it's still configured the way we talked about. We have also talked about a subscription program and we, we just haven't gotten to a place where we're comfortable yet, but that, that is on our minds as well um, to try to open that up. Cause I mean, listen, we, we are sensitive to casual collectors, whatever the word is you want to use. I don't want to offend anybody by saying, you know, light collectors or, you know, but collectors who aren't quite as money driven let's just say or profit driven <laughs> as other collectors right who just want to collect because they like a team or they like a player or they like to trade with their friends or you know they just like to be entertained and and that's certainly how i got into this business i mean i was a kid you know things were different when i was a kid but that was it, it was a social aspect and that's the part that's kind of hard to replicate right now because product just disappears so fast, right? Breakers can kind of replicate it some within, within their, uh, their places. But so yeah, th- those things are all still in play. We just haven't landed on a good subscription service. We are getting ready to do one through our, our instant platform with UFC. Um, I don't know that we've, we put all the details out on that. I think we put out some, but we are going to do some of that through instant to guarantee, you know, some purchases for people. Um, so, you know, that's one of those things. I think a lot of people, uh, I don't want to dwell on it too much. I do think a lot of people think we don't care that that product flies out of Walmart and target. And that, you know, now you almost have to plan on going to look for product. Whereas it used to be, if you went into, to get your, laundry detergent or whatever you were in there for, you could spin down the aisle and, and grab a box, you know, or some packs to open later at, at night. And I, I get that frustration because I was that person too. Um, I, I would always grab something or some things. Um, I've been opening product my whole life. So that part I know is frustrating for, for people. And, and, and I, I don't, and I'm a salesperson, you know, I, the last thing I want is a frustrated customer. It's just not a good look. So, um, so we are working on some things and our goal is by July to have a a couple of of options, including the kids crate. That's great. Yeah. I, I know it's not as simple as flipping a switch, but the subscription program idea I think is, has been, has been great. I know I'm a, a part of the tops version and and getting that guaranteed retail product every month you know and and knowing that 24 25 dollars a month is going to get get charged but i'm going to get at least a a blaster of something to open that's been fantastic and the opportunity to access some hobby type products through their their 582 montgomery club is another has been another great way to get maybe more of that hobby type content 
And it seems to be so far that through those programs, they've been able to manage slash control the bots, duplicate accounts, and some of those types yep. of things that have have maybe um, you know helped spread the spread the wealth a little bit or, or provide a, a limited number of of product into the hands of, of some consumers. So definitely would encourage you to to continue to pursue that. I think that that would be a great a great option. But like I said, I realize there are logistical issues and things that have to get worked out and and uh, can come into play. But that's great to hear that you are continuing to explore other other things there. Uh, what about that? Uh, another idea that we touched on briefly last time was the the concept of picking maybe one brand per sport and having multiple print runs or, or multiple production cycles of that throughout a season, which would, uh, yes, it would probably increase the supply greatly of that product, meaning there would be few uh, a lower um, mm-hmm. secondary market value to that. You wouldn't be able to have near the autograph or, or relic content in that product. It would just be base cards and parallels and inserts and that type of thing, but it would definitely keep more product on the shelf, at least one product on the shelf that uh, and kids or entry-level type collectors would be able to pursue. I know we touched on stickers to some extent have a higher yeah. print run than, than some of the other cards. And I know, again, there's printer capacity and time with those printers to be able to, to get those production um, lines cranking. Any, any more thought on that or has that been explored anymore as a as a potential solution to at least have some product per sport that's out there regularly yeah the challenge with that is you name some of them um production time uh, space um you know we build products all essentially the same way so you you can't really you know i used the analogy last week um because rob bertrand brought up a similar question i said it's like asking a home run hitter to bunt um when you water down a product or something like that. But, you know, the, the bigger issue is a, a lot of what's gone on here is is simply that this, these, the demand is so far ahead of the supply and there's no way to bring the supply anywhere close to the demand. And there's a lot of reasons why. Production is one of them, but autographs is another one uh, as well. And, you know, and paper, there's only so much paper. Uh, there's a lot of factors right now that are keeping us from being able to make more product because believe me we're a business you'd, you'd like to bring the supply a little bit closer to the demand and it's just hard and in this industry what's kind of gotten it to where it is now is that you know people do have a chance besides the fact that there's the collecting element they do have a chance to to, to pull some things that they can sell to to basically either refund their hobby if they want to do that or profit from their hobby. So I always like to say that it it is, you know, it it is a utopian thing to think about that we would like to put like a score out there that would just go all year round and we could just keep reprinting it and, you know, there'd be no value to it, but nobody would buy it. That's, that's the flip side is I've seen this. I've been in this industry 30 years. You get to the point where people wouldn't want it because then it doesn't have any value to it. So it's a fine line to walk, you know, and, and again, that's, we're, we're looking at trying to do some more things on the instant side as well uh, with physical cards to, to provide some avenues. But the bottom line, Mike, is there's no easy answer here. I, I, trust me, we talk about this stuff constantly and we, we brainstorm about it. And we try to come up with other options. But um, 
it, it's such a juggernaut right now. The industry is such a juggernaut and the expectations are so high at a number of levels, whether it's leagues, whether it's distributors, whether it's hobby shops, whether it's retailers. Let me tell you, I, you know, I just told you, I had a meeting with a Walmart buyer this morning. There's a lot of companies and products in this country that never talk to the Walmart buyers. So, but yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we get this thing resolved uh, sooner than later. Um, but there's just no easy answer. I mean, the, the simplest thing would probably be just do a massive base brand, you know, with with a lot of player selection slash teams. But the build out for that is immense. It's not just a simple thing to do. It takes a lot of production time. So that's been really the challenge. It's not really a great answer. I know that. But um, we do think about it and we do try to, you know, we're trying to figure out ways that we could put something, you know, I, I, what I would give you a comparison to is like NASCAR, right? You can go into Walmart and Target and you can buy NASCAR pretty much most of the time, yet the product still has a decent value in it, depending on what cards you pull and stuff. That's because the demand and the supply are much tighter to each other. But with but with the NFL and the NBA, it is just so far out of line that I'm not sure anything that we do could, could bring it into line except for a decrease in demand, which will come. There, there will be a decrease in demand. And the reason I say that is because you, you know this, we were just talking about before we came on the air, a lot of things are starting to open up again. A lot of other entertainment options are starting to open up, whether it's, uh, you know, stadiums now, you know, capacity is expanding, whether it's movie theaters, restaurants. So some of this money that's come in during the pandemic is is now going to be spent in other places. So there is going to be some natural softening because, you know, we knew it was inevitable. I don't think the industry is going to have anything wacky happen to it, but there will be a little bit of softening. One other thing that I wanted to touch on when we're on this whole topic of retail and product and, and availability of product is Walmart and Target seem to get all the attention, but yeah. we know there are products available at Dollar Tree. We've, yeah. we've heard products available at Party City, um, other types of, of retailers. Um, even a, a year or so ago, there was you know discussions of people finding Prism basketball at 7-Elevens, right? Back in the heyday, there was cards everywhere at every gas station, every grocery store, every pharmacy, everybody had it. Yep. Yep. There are other retailers other than Target and Walmart that do have retail product. Yep. What's the strategy around that? Of, of Is that something that will be able to expand or is, is, is there a different, is there a different dynamic on how those get staffed or those staff or those products placed directly by those other stores or retailers themselves, or do they have similar entities like MJ and Excel that are filling those those shelves. Yeah. Can you touch on the other retail establishments that have cards besides Target and Walmart? Yeah, there, there's actually quite a bit. Um, as you as you mentioned, the value channel is one. So Dollar Tree, Dollar General. Um, we're we're active in in the sporting good business as well, Dick's Sporting Goods and Shields, which is a, a, a relative newcomer. If you've never been into a Shields store, if you're ever in a in a city, there's 35 of them, I think. But if you're ever in a city that has a shield store, I recommend that you go in it. It's like Bass Pro or Cabela's on steroids and uh, highly entertaining. We're doing business with them. Um, you know, we're working our way in, in into grocery. We've had some product. We actually have a uh, some score football now in BJ's Wholesale Club. Uh, so, I, you know, we've expanded our footprint into quite a few places. They are serviced by category managers or distributors. Um, 
not all MJ, not all Excel. There are some other people that are involved. Uh, Anderson News is, a, is an old magazine company that's been around. They do some distribution. So uh, grocery is another one. Um, we're selling products right now currently through Kroger.com with the hopes that we'll get uh, physical placement at some point because you know, I'm looking at the places that, you know, brick and mortar has shifted. A lot of people buy online or, you know, through Amazon, through other places. Um, but brick and mortar, you, you know, most people still get their groceries by going and getting them themselves. I know you can have people deliver them to your house if you want, but I think the vast majority of people still go get their milk and their eggs on their own at a grocery store. And so that's a place where obviously there's a lot of foot traffic and always will be. Uh, sporting goods stores is the same way. People are always going to be active in sports. Kids are always going to be playing in leagues when they're younger and the parents are going to be buying equipment. So it's another another reason to be in there. So, um, yeah, no, our, our footprint is quite wide. I know when we talk retail, it's always Target and Walmart. There are a lot of other places uh, that have products. Shields has been very, very happy with their trading card program. Very, very happy. And they have a nice uh, setup in there, a nice uh, display but they're in limited markets. That's the difference. They're only, you know, carrying trading cards in 32, 33 markets. They're met metropolitan areas. We have one here in, in, in uh, the Frisco area, but um, they're, they're going to expand as well. So yeah, no, we're, you know, Dollar Tree has got cards pretty much all the time. That's why I say if people are really looking to find cards, Dollar Tree is a good place to go. Now they're not, you know, the product is not built the same way as it is in other places. There's not autographs in it, but they do have a, a, an exclusive parallel, the yellow flood parallel. And if you've looked at some of those prices on the secondary market, some of them actually have some value to them. So, but I mean, if you're just looking for cards to open, um, you know, to, to be entertained or entertain a, uh, you know, a child or something, they, they have cards all the time. So yeah, we are continuing. This is the thing, Mike, it's a short term, versus long-term discussion. I have this all the time. I have it even internally with my, my, my staff and my peers and everything else. And the easy thing right now is just sell everything online direct to the consumer. We could do that. We could put everything online and just sell it direct to the consumer. Uh, logistically, shipping it all might be a challenge, but you know, I mean, the stuff is so in demand and so hot. You can just, if you have it and put it up for sale, it sells. But that's short term. How long is that going to exist in that form or fashion, right? Not forever. It's just not. Let's be realistic. So I'm thinking long term because you have to, because we, we're going to need support from, from retailers and other areas of distribution. That's why that's why when the the picture appeared on the internet two weeks ago that said we were getting out of the distribution business, essentially we weren't going to sell retail and we weren't going to sell hobby shops is what some people said. We were just going to sell everything direct to consumer ourselves. That is not true. That's not simply not true and won't happen. As long as I'm the vice president of sales and product development, I can't see that happening because there's a lot of logistical issues. Um, you know, if people understood what it takes to get the product from our printer here in Dallas you know, into 1,800 Target stores or 4,500 Walmart stores or go through all the other chains. You, you have to ship to to distribution centers. There's a lot of things that have to happen, um, you know, and so the infrastructure needed to do that direct is immense, which is why we use distributors, quite frankly. And, and, and I said this last week, and I want to reemphasize it in case somebody didn't hear any of the, any of the conversations last week. If someone is a distribution partner of ours, it's because I feel they add value to our distribution network and I trust them. If I didn't, they wouldn't be part of the distribution network. So one of the things that I do 
get offended by, just to be honest with you, is when I'm on the internet and I see people attacking, <laughs> that's really the word, Excel and MJH and saying they're backdooring product and that sort of thing. They're not. I know what people mean by it. There's an occasional rep that might call a friend and say, hey, I'm walking into the store if you want to meet me. Yes, that has happened. And when it's happened, we brought it up to the appropriate vendor and they've addressed it in the way they felt it needed to be addressed. A few people have actually been fired over it. So we do take that seriously, but it's not rampant like some people want to make it out to be. Um, if it was, I would find new distribution partners. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. I, I just... You know, it's one of those things that a lot of people don't realize, and I thought it'd be great to, yep, to touch on some of those, those other avenues. Let's yep. talk about a new member of the Panini family in UFC. Yeah. Uh, Prism has started off strong. How many products do you plan to release this year under the the UFC product line? You, yeah. you had mentioned um, that there's going to be potentially some Panini Instant coming. What's the what's the plan look like for UFC this year? There's four products, so there's one every quarter. Uh, the next one will be Select uh, UFC, and then we're doing Chronicles, and I think the last one is Immaculate, if I'm correct. Uh, Very cool. I think that's it. And 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 obviously, the nice thing about the UFC is is that they're event driven. As you know, they just had an event in Houston over the weekend. They're very event driven, which is why they play into our instant platform really really well. And, and David Sharp. You know, our director of that business uh, has a great plan that he's working up for that. But um, the UFCs, they're, they're all in on our on our program. It's been a pleasure working with them this year. Um, you know, their culture is a lot like our culture in terms of business. Their business culture is like ours. They like to, to be aggressive. Um, and um, that's how we are. And so it's it's been a good match so far. And, yeah, the response to the product was 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 pretty amazing. I you know I called them a couple of weeks ago because we had provided them some blasters um, to sell through their their website, um, which is serviced by a third party. And I, I kind of warned them of what could happen based on the fact that the hobby product was booking so strong. And sure enough, they were they were botted. They were ready, but they were botted, and they'd never seen anything like that apparently they don't get bought it on a regular basis. So I said, welcome to the trading card industry as it is now. Now there's a decent number of card shows starting back up, including a couple big ones, like the one in Dallas, the national is looking better and better. Like it might be on. Um, we've heard some mixed things over the last several months from some of the other corporate attendees who are typically at some of these shows. Anything that you can share about Panini's plans for some of the big summer um, hobby events. Yep. Panini's all in. We're all in on, on anything that that's going to go, you know, forward as planned. I, I understand that uh, the national looks like it is on uh, in its current scheduled spot. There had been some discussion uh, weeks before about moving it later into October, perhaps. But now that Illinois looks like it's on track to, to open uh, in June of, of uh, some kind, we're still waiting to see what the numbers are, uh, as you pointed out before we came on the air about gatherings in, you know, in a convention center and stuff. But it looks like it's on. Um, we will participate, you know, even if, it's a, even if it's a smaller scale event. If there's an event, we'll be there. Um, it's been a while since we've been out. Um, at shows and been out in the public. Uh, this is a great time for our industry. It's time to celebrate. It's in, you know, it's time to, to see some people if it's safe and it looks like it's getting safer. And 
So we're, we're all in, you know, so, so far we're committed certainly to, to the national, we're committed to the industry summit, um, which is not a collector event, but it's an industry event. Uh, that's in Las Vegas in September. And I'm sure some distributors will try to have some, some events to, you know, celebrate and, and reward their customers for staying with them through this, this pandemic and this quarantine and the shutdown, because that's really what it's about. And I would certainly think by the fall, we're into a more normal cadence as we roll up towards 22. But any anything that's industry related, Panini will be a part of. You, you can That just goes without saying how we how we do. In other words, are we still going to do a VIP party at the national? That remains to be determined. We're still trying to figure that out uh, as we get a better handle on what the actual event is. So I can't give you those kind of details, but I can tell you that if there is an event that's industry related, we'll be there. Yeah. That VIP party is a little different animal. You know, typically that's a way that, that you're able to move a lot of product to get access to it. (laughs) That isn't quite the issue that we're having um, these days. So I understand there's still some work to to be done there, but thank you for for providing that update. Sure. I've got another question here and, and this, to be fair, this might be, one of those questions that we could do a whole nother separate interview about, but it's something that I wanted to bring up just to see if there was something off the top of your head. But some of us content creators and collectors feel like we've got this whole car business all figured out, but we don't necessarily have that full picture. What is something that you wish the public knew about the business of being a trading card manufacturer that nobody ever really asks about or understands? Well, I think they, I think, anybody who's in any sort of business would understand this, but we all have to make money. So that would be the first thing. I think sometimes people think, why don't they do this or do that? Well, you know, it's like brand guys can build, uh, can build a, a brand that would sell out every time if they didn't have to mind a budget. Right. But, but I mean, the end, the end result is, is that you, you need to make money. So that's the first thing that sometimes I scratch my head and I go do do people understand that if we're not profitable, that all of this comes apart, right? So there's that. Then, um, you, you know, I think another thing is, is that I, I wonder if people really realize with the industry, the size that it is now, and this includes other companies, so not just us, but I'm going to speak from a Panini standpoint. But to service our business currently, I think I've told you this before, we, we bring in around 7 million autographs a year through our building. And that's all sports combined. You're talking about over 30,000 autographs a day have to go in and out of this building. And not only that, you have to pay for them before you get them. You have to pay the player first. So now you're expending the cash months (laughs) before you get it back in form of reselling the product. So there's a huge commitment made by our company to, to even build this product to begin with. I get it. At the end, we do profit from it. So it's not like there's, there's not a benefit for us. There is, but you know, that's the one thing that sometimes I I sort of go, wow, we don't, I don't think we get enough credit for the fact that we spend the money to get the licenses and they cost what they cost, right? The leagues have got agendas and they've, they've got a value on their brands and things like that. So you have to pay whatever they think the going rate is. Um, And so there's that. And then there's, athlete autographs, there's memorabilia. That, that's a tremendous amount of cash that has to be laid out before a product is ever built out and sold. So um, it's a major investment on, on behalf of our ownership and our company. Um, so sometimes the, you know, the criticism about 
some of the content things stings a little bit just because I, I, I wonder sometimes do we get enough credit for the fact that we do outlay that cash, we do build 130 brands a year. And again, that that economics, the, the those products are then sold to distributors who then sell to stores who then sell to consumers. So obviously we're providing income for a lot of people, um, it, it, you know, in, in, in this country, quite frankly. So that's the part where sometimes when I'm, when I'm a little, when I'm a little depressed, which is very rare, but I'm sitting there going, man, I just, I wish people would think about the fact that we make a, a huge level of commitment and, and, and we do. And do we always get it right? Nope. I'll be the first one to admit that we don't always get it right. Not every brand is built perfectly. You know, and not everything we conceive is the best idea the first time. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Prism was a brand that was struggling and we had to go back to the drawing board and, and rework it. The first year we did Chronicles, we messed it up. We didn't do it quite right the way we whiteboarded it. We went back in and tweaked it. But there's so many moving parts. So that's what I would say is, is just, it's not as easy as people think it is. That's probably what I would say. Well, DJ, I have an eight-year-old customer who comes into my card shop. His name's AJ and he listens to the podcast. And after your last appearance, he had a few questions. And I told him that when you came back again, I would be sure to ask some of them for him. And when I let him know that you were coming back on this week, he gave me four questions to ask you about. So are you up for, for AJ's four questions? Anybody who uses their initials for their name, I'm, I'm up for questions. AJ, right. DJ, here we go. That's right. Well, AJ, AJ's AJ, questions AJ, for DJ. AJ, this is for you. The first one was he wants to know how do the card designs get created and selected? <laughs> Well, that's great. So sometime AJ will have to probably get on the phone with our creative director, uh, David Tierney. So we have a team of, of 15, soon to be 17 designers, uh, graphic designers, and uh, they work in conjunction with the brand team and, 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 and it's symbiotic. It works both ways. Sometimes a brand team will, will say, like if it's a traditional brand or brand we've done a long time, there's not a whole lot that needs to be done to it. So let's say we roll into Donruss every year and, you know, you do some design elements, you move them around, but you don't really change the overall look of the fact that you're using an action shot and you want kind of almost a, a maybe not a full bleed, but you want to use the photo as is. So you don't want to crop the player out. But then there's other times when the designers have been noodling around on their own and they've come up with a cool, either, uh, you know, a filter or a technique or just a look and they'll walk into product development and say, hey, look what we have. And we've actually had brands conceived based on designs they've done before. Um, so it works both ways, but uh, we have a dedicated team that works on our design. Okay. Along those same lines, he wanted to follow that up with, how do you then determine the names of the products? You know, some <laughs> of them have been around for a while, but then there's some new products that come out every year. So how do you determine what you're going to call a new product? Um, sometimes we, we Google like a word like speed because you go, okay, we want something that equates speed because there might be a design element where there's, you know, something coming off of the, the name or something. And other times it's somebody has got a, a, a printing process. Like Prism was pretty obvious because it was hollow foil. So we're trying to come up with a name that was reflective, no pun intended, of shiny, you know, right? So, you know, and, and we were trying to come up with names and Prism came up and obviously we took the S and turned it into a Z. So it, it's it's one of those things where sometimes it's really obvious. It may be a Heritage brand name, you know, like Donruss or Heritage in Topps' case or 
or tops or whatever. And, and it's just something that you carry through. And then there's other times when you're sitting here and you've got either a new technology or a brand you haven't done before, and you're just looking for a new name. And sometimes you just, you just go into the dictionary and you, you know, or you look at synonyms of words. Um, so sometimes there is a definite reason why you name a brand the way you name it, because it looks a certain way, but other times, you, you're just adding a new brand because the opportunity there is to add and sell another basketball card brand. And then you're looking for something. And usually it ties to the sport in some fashion, usually. And then he, next he wanted to know if you personally, if you buy and sell cards or have any other card related businesses outside of your work for Panini. I don't, um, you know, I, I, I collect cards, so I purchase cards. I don't resell cards. Um, my, my prize collection or prize thing in my collection is my 1961 uh, Topps baseball set. That was the year I was born. Uh, that was the year Yankees won the World Series. I'm a Yankee fan. That was the year Maris set the home run record. So big year for me. So 61 was the first set I went back and built a vintage set. Um, but, I, I, you know, I collect things that I like. Um, my biggest interest outside of trading cards is, is really fitness and dogs. I love dogs. Um, I'm about to get a new dog next week. Uh, we lost one in February. So, um, so dogs is really my interest, but I love sports. That's how I got into this business. I was in television sports first. I was a sports reporter producer in, in, in the uh, Raleigh market, in North Carolina, where I am from. And, but I've always been a huge sports fan. I was a huge sports fan as a kid. So everything I do revolves kind of around those things at this point, but Everything that I buy, like I'm currently going through a case of Heritage Baseball. I open one every year. Um, it's it's something I've always done. I, I like set building. I'm an older collector, so I tend to like set building, and that's a that's a great case to open up and you know and look for the the, the parallels and the the rare cards and the error cards and all the things they do. And you know, and now we're getting into the era. This year's the '72 design. That was right in the right in my wheelhouse. I was 72 is the year I turned 11. So, I mean, it was now you're, now you're back and it just brings back great memories, but, but no, I don't really have any other uh, business where money exchanges hands outside of this one. <laughs> and now the last question, you may have touched on this already and you're at the beginning of this last answer, but he wanted to know what your favorite card is that isn't a Panini product. Oh, um, probably. Wow. I've got a lot. Um, man, probably something out of the 61 set. It's probably, it's probably either the 61 maze mantle or the Aaron. I like the all-star cards from that year. The ones they did with the sporting news background. I like the regular cards too, but, um, probably though my favorite card is my, my 19, 70 either 70 rookie card or 71 Thurman Munson. Thurman was my favorite baseball player. Joe Namath, my favorite athlete of all time. I was born in New Jersey and, and my parents are from upstate New York. So early on in life, I know you see the Broncos stuff behind me, but early on in life, I was an all New York fan. I, I eventually the Yankees stayed, but a lot of the other things switched and I was a big Namath fan. Um, I do not have a Namath rookie. Um, I do have a 68, 69 from 60. From 68 on, I have all of his cards. So I don't know if you ask me that question, uh, you know, from month to month, it changes. I actually have, uh, you know, in my office at home, I don't have a ton of cards out, but I rotate the ones 
that I have out periodically and there's a rotation, but I, Willie Mays just turned 90 uh, at the beginning of this month. And, and, you know, even though he wasn't a Yankee, I think he's the greatest baseball player of all time. I know a lot of people would argue that Babe Ruth was what I'm saying is Willie from a five tool standpoint, there's nobody that has done the five tools as well as, as Willie did. And, and so I like, I have a lot of Willie Mays cards. So typically he's out and then there's always a Yankee, whether it's mantle Maris. I don't have a ton of mantles. Let's be clear about that, but I, I've got a, a lot of other ones. So that that's, that's it. But I, I mean, I, I love cards and even, you know, that's one of the reasons I love the national because I like to walk, walk it. I, I love new stuff obviously because of what we do, but I like to see, I love to see vintage stuff. I collect uh, vintage World Series programs. That's really my other vice. So I have quite a few, particularly all the years the Yankees won the World Series. All right. Well, there you go, AJ. There are DJ's answers to your questions. AJ, stay at it, man. I, I love I love the enthusiasm and, and you know youth and stuff is where it's at in this in this industry. And you never know what it'll, what it'll do for you because uh, you know I was like you at that age and look where look where i am now i've been in this in this business for a long long time so stay with your passion if it truly is your passion stay with it and appreciate the questions and hope that answered your 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 question mike has my email address so if there's anything else you want to know he can always email me there you go there you go well thanks again dj for coming on today before we go why don't you let people know where to uh find you and keep keep tabs on what you guys have going on at panini uh, well, you know, my social is pretty much my name wherever you go. It's at DJ Kazmazak pretty much on whatever platform it is you do. Um, Panini America, obviously, we have a lot of, of, of things at Panini America. Our website is at PaniniAmerica.net, not .com, .net. So if you want to go to our website, um, and everything is there, including, um, you know, uh, our, our instant uh, platform and that sort of thing. So we're not hard to find. There you go. Well, thanks again, DJ. I appreciate it. Hopefully we'll be able to do this again in uh, another few months. All right, Mike. Always a pleasure. MoCo is your small town local shop with a global reach. Conveniently located in New Buffalo, Michigan. We're an easy drive for most residents in Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, and Ohio. Come see us every Tuesday through Saturday from 10 to 5 and Sundays from 12 to 5. Want to shop from the comfort of your home? Give us a call at 269-469-0140 or visit our website at the thesportscardshopatmoco.com or our Facebook page. Major credit cards and PayPal accepted and we ship anywhere in the world. We're an authorized dealer for both Panini and Tops with new sealed wax from both arriving weekly. And yes, we have PSA and SGC graded cards and over a quarter of a million singles in stock. Be sure to follow us and turn on notifications for posts to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter so you don't miss out on new arrivals. The Goetcher family has been serving this community for over a decade. So stop by or visit us at the sports card shop at moco.com. I just want to wrap up today by saying thanks again to DJ for coming on. I appreciate his transparency, his excitement, and his enthusiasm for the industry, and his willingness to answer questions, even in the midst of some of these challenging times, challenging from a good business perspective, but still challenging business problems to solve. Even when sales are going well, there's new problems that are created because of that. And that's what we're seeing today. But DJ is willing to come on and have that conversation about what Panini is trying to do to address those situations. So thanks again, DJ, for coming on. 
That's all I've got for you today. So until next time, I encourage you to keep on collecting. Let me know what you think about the show by leaving me some feedback. Leave me a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. I'd love to hear from you and love to hear what you think about the show. Catch you next time.